The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. This is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. So good to be with you. Thanks for coming today. Really excited to look at this text with you. Before we get there, a couple, I guess they're announcements. Number one, it's the new year. Maybe you have resolutions. Maybe your resolution is to not make any more resolutions. I just want to ask you for two things. Number one, how are you going to read your Bible this year? How are you going to read your Bible? And the thing I want you to do is not just think, oh, I should read that sometime. I want you to have a plan. What's your plan for how to read the Bible? You are, uh, if you need help with that, I would love to help you in any way that I can. If you want to join our church plan, I can get your uh, app on your phone. I can get you an invitation. We're going to read the New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs in a year. Very accessible. It's a good amount of reading. You can do it. Also, the uh, references are in our bulletin. So join us in the plan. So uh, grab onto this with your heart. Go ahead and think of all the excuses you have for not having a plan. Now admit how lame they are and make a plan. For reading the Bible. Second thing, join us in prayer. We're going to spend two weeks being devoted to prayer. There's prayer guides out in the foyer. So on the way out, grab one of these. There's nothing magical about this, but I wanted to give us a roadmap together for prayer this week. Six days this week, 30 minutes. Let's pray. And our theme this week is praying our heart, praying your own mind, praying your own heart, praying God's word into you. Grab one of these, let's pray. And then for Wednesday Bible study this week, we're gonna devote that to prayer. So we'll be looking at a psalm both in the morning and the evening and spending some time in prayer together. So let's pray. Let's devote ourselves to prayer this year. And on that note, let's look at this text this morning. But let's pray before we get there. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, What a glorious passage this is where the very Son of God teaches us how to pray. And I pray you would help me teach what he has taught. Help me teach it clearly, faithfully, and open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to to really see it and taste it and get it. And more than anything, God, I pray that we would pray as you've taught us and it would be just life-giving and joyful to us for your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh... We're thinking about prayer. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about your prayer life? How do you feel about it? And it's interesting. I could ask the most seasoned Christian, missionaries, pastors, how's your prayer life? And there's a sense of guilt that comes into the room. Uh, It's not what it should be. Prayer's a strange thing, isn't it? 
Um, on the one hand, surveys tell us everyone prays. It's always fascinating to me to see that non-religious, even atheists, according to surveys, many of them pray. Everybody prays sometimes. We know that. Why? There's this longing, right, for a connection with the divine, this need for more. Everybody prays. We long for it. And yet, I think everybody's frustrated with prayer. It's difficult. It's confusing. You want to bore people? Say the word prayer. and Everybody's, uh, you know. How do we do this? Do, do any of you feel that way? Both a, a, a conflict between, oh, I want more. I want to be with God. I want this to come alive. I want to see him work. And then on the other hand, I don't have any clue how to do this. I'm quitting. I lose my train of thought. I don't know what to say. I'm, ju I'm just like you. I don't think I'm very good at prayer. But I can't tell you, I think prayer has saved my life. It's literally saved my life. Uh, prayer has helped my heart when nothing else would. Prayer has given me peace when nothing else would. Prayer has given me direction when nothing else would. And so as I think about our church, my life, our life together, one of my prayers for us is just that your prayer would come alive, that our prayer would come alive, that, that you'd feel zealous about prayer, excited about prayer, that, you know what, I want you to be addicted to prayer. I want it to be a passion for you, a joy, something that you don't want to go without, that you'd be as committed to time set apart to prayer as you are to eating food. Because we can't thrive in our Christian life without a thriving prayer life. Do you believe that? You can't thrive in your Christian life without a thriving prayer life. More than that, God wants you to have a thriving prayer life. Do you think it's true that God has in mind that you, actually you, could have a thriving relational prayer life with him? Could it be? It could, and that's what this text is about. There's a million places in the Bible we could go to for help with prayer, but in the end, I just had to come back to kind of the, the, fund, the fundamental, the old faithful. I mean, how can it get better than Jesus teaching us how to pray? So let's learn. This is, uh, this, this is the way to have a living, thriving prayer life. And I, there, there's so much here, we could, we could teach it all spring. But uh, we're going to do it in one sermon, so buckle up, okay? <laughs> buckle up. But we're, I want to see three main things with you. Number one, life for dead prayer. Life for dead prayer. That's number one. Number two, power for purposeless prayer. Power for purposeless prayer. Number three, passion for flat prayer. Life for your prayer, power for your prayer, passion for your prayer. Let's start. Number one, life for your prayer. Look at verse one, Luke chapter 11, verse one. Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. It's interesting, isn't it? Who's asking? Disciples. So realize these are religious people. Realize these are people who have encountered the Bible quite a bit. They've actually been walking with Jesus at least for a little bit. And how do they feel about their prayer life? I need help. I don't know how to do this. Something is missing. And they went to Jesus. Teach us to pray. This just reminds us, I need to be taught how to pray. You need to be taught how to pray. Prayer is not something you figure out on your own or invent in your own way. We need a teacher. On, on our own, we lose our way. On our own, there is no way. So we want to have hearts that are humble and open. Lord, teach me. Teach me. It's amazing, isn't it? Before we speak, we do what? We listen. That's how we pray. We can ask for help, and then we, we listen. So that's when we come to Jesus here, and we see that Jesus himself is the life of prayer. Jesus gives life to prayer. Let me show you why. Number one, first, Jesus is the example in prayer. What was Jesus doing at the beginning of this chapter? He was praying, and it wasn't just I was locking along and had prayers in my mind. I'm not demeaning that. But sometimes when we say, hey, I pray, it's like a thought at night before you go to bed or as you bowed your head before a meal. I'm not demeaning that, but do you see Jesus' prayer here? He was off at a certain place, 
often by himself, often for an extended period of time, to do what? Pray. Prayer. Time, extended time for personal prayer was a priority for Jesus. He is our example. Just an honest question. Do you have as your regular habit times of committed times, extended times for prayer? And that's what it's for. You're going to pray. It's an appointment between you and God and you're not going to miss it. Or how many of you, don't raise your hand, well, or we could all raise our hand, I guess we're all guilty. How many of you are thinking, nah, not so much. I don't even know how to do that. I wouldn't know how to start. That idea scares me. Do you think it's possible that you don't need something that Jesus needed? Think about that for a moment. Because how come, how come you don't really set aside time for intentional, passionate prayer? Maybe it's, maybe it's you don't know how. I can, I can see that. You need help. Hey, we want to help. But more than that, you're people who, if you really want to find out how to do something, I've seen you. You'll figure it out. You'll pursue it. You'll learn. You'll go after it. Maybe the deepest reason we don't set aside time, set aside time for prayer is we don't think we need it. And Jesus' example shows us. I mean, he's the son of God here to save the world. Kind of an intense schedule, right? What does he set aside time for? Prayer. Fellowship with his father. Direction. First of all, he's a life of prayer in that he's our example. We want to follow his example. How are you going to set aside time for prayer? Number two, he's a life of prayer not just because he's our example. He's our teacher. We need him to teach us. Now, what's so wonderful is when the disciple says, hey, teach us to pray. What, is, what does Jesus say? No, you're not ready for that. No, you're not good enough for that. Oh, you're fine already. No, what does Jesus do? Let's do this. He is so happy and ready to teach you and me how to pray. I mean, what do we call this? You've heard this before if you've been to church for 30 seconds, right? What do we call this? The Lord's Prayer. Why do we call it the Lord's Prayer? Because the Lord gave it to us. It's from the Lord. But honestly, it's not the Lord's Prayer. Here's what I mean. If you want to see the Lord's Prayer, read John 17. That's Jesus praying. This is the Lord's Prayer for his people. This is the Christian's prayer. This is the way Christians pray. For instance, Jesus doesn't need to say, uh, forgive me my sins. Doesn't need to say that. But guess who needs to say that? I need to say that. You need to say that. This is Jesus' prayer for his people. And you know, it's, it's interesting, right? This is uh, Luke 11. You can also find the prayer in Matthew. There's a few detailed differences. And we remember that those are two different settings. Those are two different places geographically, two different moments in Jesus' life. But it's, it's, very, it's fascinating to see that Jesus teaches basically the same thing, which should wake us up to something. This prayer as we have here is not just a, a, a sideline thing to do every once in a while. Moreover, it's not just something you memorize and say wrote over and over and over again. Now, now hear me, I'm not saying don't memorize the Lord's Prayer. It's very helpful because you know the themes, you know the principles. It's good to pray together. I'm not against that either. But if that's as far as we go with this, oh, we've missed the point. We have missed the point. These are passions from God's word that Jesus wants your heart and mind to engage in. Every one of these, the aspects of this prayer is an ocean to swim into. It's something to move into, to, to ponder, to think about. Jesus is our teacher for prayer. So he's our example for prayer, our teacher for prayer. More than that, he's the life of prayer. He's the life of prayer. Look at verse 2. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, what's the first word for a Christian prayer? Father. Or second word, depending on how you're doing it, our Father. Okay, same idea. First idea, Father. Now just, just pause for a minute. 
What gives you the right to call God Father? Because this is some kind of prayer, okay? This is some kind of prayer. You think of a king on a throne, and maybe there's a, a couple people in the world that can walk in any time. It's his kids. There's a, there's a few kids in the world. I have more than others. I'm happy about that. There's a few kids in the world that can come to me anytime. Father. Because guess who I am to them? That's who I am. Father. What gives you and me the right to think that we can come to God and say that word? Some would say, hey, God's everyone's father. Hmm, what do you think about that? If you're thinking of the sense that he created everyone and sustains all life and is near to all, okay, that's in the book of Acts. But relationally, is God everyone's father? No way. No way. Look at your natural father. You want to meet him? Look at Ephesians 2.3. Ephesians 2.3. Look what Paul says. He's talking about all Christians We once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of who? Wrath. What does that mean? And then he says, like the rest of mankind. Who's your daddy? Wrath. What? That's harsh. What What is he saying? We're reminded here of our sin, aren't we? We're reminded of our sin. Have you, remember the two great commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you pause and you take that seriously, and you look at what God has called for in your life, have you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength according to his word every time? Are you kidding? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself every time? Are we kidding? I I can't even keep my own little mini standard. You know, I get mad at you if you do this to me, but I've done that same thing to someone else. I can't even keep my own standard. Much less God's standard. No, I I have not loved what God loves. I have loved what he hates. I've broken his law. I've turned from him. I deserve his, what is wrath? It's God's just anger. God is judge. He hates what is evil. We need him too. It's our only hope. But it also slays us because we have been unjust. If you try to pray without God, or excuse me, if you try to pray to God without Jesus, he's not your father. He's your judge. That's a sober thing. You might say, hey, our father, but does he hear it like that? Do you have the right to call him that? If not, how do we get the right? Look, there is one way to know God as your father. Look what Jesus said in John 14, 6. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe you thought Jesus was uh, just a good religious teacher. He just said that on fire, didn't he? He didn't say, like all the other religious teachers, let me show you the way. Oh, no. What did he say? I am the way. I'm the only way to the Father. That's what Jesus says. This is true for salvation. It's also true for prayer. It's true for prayer. Remember what John said in chapter 1. Look at John 1, verses 9 to 12. This is of Jesus and his coming. John says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. By the way, if you thought it was too much for Jesus to say, I'm the only way to the Father, remember, he's God. He created everything. The world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. Verse 11. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. That was Israel. They had everything about the Messiah and his coming and they... Didn't plug in with Jesus, they rejected him. But look at verse 12. To all who did receive him, and how do you receive him? Who believed in his name. You trust in who he is and what he's done. What does he give? He gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is the light who gives you the right 
to become children of God. How can, how can it be that you could call the holy creator of the universe Father? There's one way. Do you have it? Are you in it? What's the one way? It's to have Jesus. It's to trust him. And in Christ, all your sins are forgiven. You're made right with God, and you're established into a new relationship. And what is it? God is your father. And that is God's love. Look at 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called, what are we called? Children of God. And so we are. And so we are. Do you see what I mean when I say Jesus is the life of prayer? You can't get into the living room without the key. You, you can't move past God's just wrath without the work of the Savior. But to have Jesus is to see his example, it's to hear his teaching, and it's also to have him usher you in to the presence of the Father as a very child. Look at what the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then, this is glorious, let us then with what? Confidence. Now who does the us include? Obviously, it's special varsity Christians who've done amazing things, those people, because it can't be true for me and you, we're too normal and messed up. Is that the way it feels sometimes? You guys, it's not true. It's not true. Look what Jesus gives you. Look what Jesus gives you. If you trust Jesus, look what Jesus gives you. Access to the very throne of grace. And who sits on your throne? It's God. But your name for this God is what? Father. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you feel like you need an, inter, an intermediate? intermediary and you have to go to a saint and maybe the saint can talk to God because God didn't want to talk to you or you've got to go to someone else and maybe that person could talk to God because God didn't want to talk to you do you realize that's not true do you realize you have an invitation straight up into his face as a child because of Jesus pray people he's the life of your prayer isn't that encouraging Jesus is the life of prayer. Now the power for prayer. The power for prayer. And you're going to need to pray for me because I'm going to be tempted to go off and preach for like three hours, but I'll try to hold back. Um, this is so important. We're going to get six major themes here, right? You've heard it. You could probably list them off. Our Father, and what's next? Hallowed be thy name, and what's next? You know, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, and um, what's next? Uh, give, give us this day, and forgive us our sins, uh, and, and lead us not into temptation. You've heard this, I hope, and, and it's, it's in you, these, these six themes. What I want to do is take it, take it deeper than just being a, a rote thing that you say, although that, that's not bad, but we, we're meant to go deeper and swim in these things. That's why it's a challenge for me, is each of these truths are so wonderful, but the first thing to realize, what is Jesus teaching you about prayer? Is, is it interesting that he didn't say, uh, go to a beautiful spot and just clear your mind? Or um, he didn't just say, go and wait for a voice. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't say, hope for a vision. What did he give you? What's amazing is he gave you things that if you've been reading your Bible, you already know from the Bible. God's Father, do you believe that? Have you read that? Yeah. Uh, and, and he's holy. Have you read this? Yep. Uh, biblical truth, good. And uh, let's see, what else? He's king. Did you know that already? Yep, we knew this already. Is there anything in this list where you're never heard it? No, you've heard it all before. But this is what's so amazing is Jesus is teaching us that we cannot separate biblical truth from personal prayer. We cannot separate biblical truth from personal prayer. Jesus is giving you massive truths you already know from the Bible and saying, dive in. 
Pray them. Meditate on them. Sink them in. Uh, you know, it's, just, it's a funny thing when someone tells you what to pray for. Because think of what prayer is. Often it's, it's asking, and that's part of it, isn't it? All of this is asking God for something. Looking to God for something. And why would you ask someone for something? Don't get too crazy. It's real simple. The reason you ask them for something is because you want it. You want it. Jesus is telling us what to want. He's showing us what to want. And part of the purpose of prayer is that we would grow in wanting and desiring and loving what is in the truth of his word. Prayer is truth made personal. It's truth made personal. You're praying God's truth for your mind, your heart, your life, your world. It's truth made personal. Sometimes I run across, uh, especially some young men, who love theology. That's good. That's good. But Jesus shows you something. Do you love theology if you don't pray your theology? Sometimes you run into people who love prayer. I just want to get alone and have experiences. I just, I just want to pray. Do you love prayer if you don't pray the truth of the scripture? Do you see what Jesus has done? He's given us this amazing balance that full minds warm hearts simultaneously. The truth we know about God from his word burning like a fire in us full of affections. It's real worship right here. Real worship of the true God in this prayer as he gives us truth. I think that's amazing. And I think it gives power for prayer. Power for prayer. The proclamation of the word brought in with prayer gives it power. If you, if you say, I don't know what to pray for, and if you embrace the depths of the Lord's prayer, you'll never run out of something to pray for again for the rest of your life. Let's look briefly at these six themes. I want to I say it like prayers. So we're, we're going to re repeat this a few times. Number one, what's the first theme? Father. Say that with me. Father. Second theme is show us. Third theme is rule us. Fourth theme, provide for us. Fifth theme, forgive us. Sixth theme, lead us. So now we're just going to scratch the surface on these six themes to give just hopefully a baseline summary so that you can take them and start praying them. Okay, what's the first word? Father. Hey, let's, put, let's, let's try something in the new year. When you pray, give up saying, dear God. I'm not saying it's wrong. But how does dear God feel to you? Feels far away to me, feels impersonal to me. What God? Dear God. Let's put that on the shelf. What, does, what is your God telling you to call him when you pray? Father. Does that change anything for you? You just, you just made it into the living room. You made it into the throne room. You made it in with someone closer. And do you see what happens right away? Is we start to treasure the gospel right here. With our first prayer, we treasure the gospel. Part of our mission statement is I want you to be grounded in the gospel, that your hope, your dreams, your future, your righteousness, your identity, your peace, your satisfaction, your sense of self, all comes from who Jesus is and what he's done. And look what Jesus is saying. The first thing to pray, the first thing to remember when you pray is who you are to God because of Jesus. You're his child because of what he's done for you. Father, Ephesians 1.5, look at this. The Father predestined us for adoption to himself as children through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. This is where we need to get into what the Puritans called meditation. And it's not, it's not an Eastern religion thing where you want to empty your mind. No, you want to fill your mind to such an extent that it percolates your heart. Like the miracle, you know the miracle that happens every day when we turn water into coffee? Praise Jesus. This is the miracle that happens in our hearts. Have you meditated on the reality that in Christ, God has wanted you 
from eternity past to be his child. Do you know what healing that could bring in dark places of our hearts? Maybe you had a human father who did not love you, did not accept you, put burdens on you, rejected you, never told you he loved you. Maybe maybe you've experienced things that are untold in in the skeletons of your past, and there is something here on meditating on the truth that Jesus has said, don't forget, soak on this, suck on this, percolate in this. God wants you as his child through Christ. Jesus has brought you in for adoption, I love what J.I. Packer says about this. Uh, He's just this elderly statesman of a theologian. Look what J.I. Packer says about adoption. He says, adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. Did Did you hear that? Into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. We continue, closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater Father. You can see why this is hard, right? Because we can stay right there. You, could, you, could, you may try this for prayer and get stuck and not move to the next five, and that's okay. Pray, Father, but for our sake, we're moving on. Verse two, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, and then what's the next phrase? Hallowed be thy name. Now that is hard in our modern language. What on earth does that mean? Hallowed be thy name. Are you praying that one day, if God will just try hard enough, he may someday become holy? We're rooting for you, God. Of course not, it's ridiculous. God is holy. So what are we praying? Hmm. Hallowed be your name. What does name mean in the Bible? God's name. God's name is the expression of who he is. It's the communication of who he is. It's the definition of who he is. God did not give you a video so that you could know about him. He gave you his word expressed in names, the definition of who God is, the essence of who he is, we see in his name. Read the scriptures and you will see his power, his character. You'll find that he is holy, set apart in devotion to himself, eternal, sufficient, needs nothing, righteous, hates what is evil. He's good, he's full of steadfast love. It's his name. Here's one thing that's for certain for all of us, okay? It's for me too. Your view of God is too small. Anybody want to struggle with me on that? You can do that later. But, but really, is your concept of God as deep and wide and as ultimate as it should be? Here's, here's one thing I'm thinking of. Have you considered, remember Isaiah 6, if you read your Old Testament? Isaiah's a prophet. He comes into the presence of God, and he sees that God is holy. You remember what Isaiah does? He says, hey, I knew that. I went to Sunday school. No, no, that's not what happens. He falls on his face and says, woe to me, I'm coming apart. It's too much for me. God's a consuming fire. What would it be like if you were all of a sudden in the presence of God right now? One reason we read through the Bible, we see his accounts with people, is you'll discover more and more about his name. And when we pray saying, Father, hallowed be your name, that word hallowed means may your name be venerated, valued, respected, feared, rejoiced in. Do you realize what this prayer is? This is what the prayer means. The prayer is basically saying this, show me. Show me. Show my mind. Show my heart who you are. Come on, tell me you haven't woken up one day bored with God. I have. Is that because God is boring? No, that's because I'm blind. I'm blind to see, as the Bible says, with the eyes of my heart who he is. What would that do? Oh, oh, reverence. You're praying, show me who you are. 
Show us who you are. As you read your word, you're praying, show me. What did Moses say on the mountain, Exodus 33, 18? Please show me what? Your glory. I want to see. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 4, 6? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown. Where? In our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the what? Glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus. Has that light shone in your heart? Isn't it funny? Your heart has eyes. Your heart has eyes. And you see in your heart by faith as you encounter the word and you're praying Show me your glory. Show me who you are. And as you see, your response will be veneration, worship, rejoicing, passion. Hallowed be thy name. That's what you're told to pray for. Father, let me see. Show us. Third one. Then Jesus says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. What do we remember here about God? God is king. Our God reigns and Jesus is his king. Do you believe that? He's king of kings and lord of lords and he will reign forevermore. He reigns over the nations. He reigns over history. One day he'll return and reign explicitly. In Isaiah 40, the prophet says, the nations in comparison to God are like a drop in a bucket. I like that. Uh, You think China, Russia, Iran, and the U.S. are a big deal? In a way they are, right? It affects a lot of people. Do you know one day people were worried about Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Rome? You know where you can go to learn about those things? A museum. Have you been worrying about them recently? No one cares. It's over. The nations rise and fall. God is king. God is king. They're not the big deal. He's the big deal, and that's who you get to pray to. It's good to remember, isn't it, in the ups and downs of life? Who's king? He's king. He's still king. But the prayer is more than that. Your kingdom come where? First of all, you know where God reigns most explicitly right now in this world? Places like this. It's in his people. Because if you're a Christian, what have you been saying to Jesus? What did we sing our second song? Who is this king of glory? This prayer is saying, Jesus, be king in me. Be king in me. If you're a Christian, you've already bowed the knee and he's your king. But let's be honest, aren't there cracks and closets in your heart and your mind where somebody else seems to be in charge? Is Jesus king over your emotional life? Is he king of your relationships? Is he king of your finances? Is he king of your parenting? Is he king of your entertainment? Well, if I'm being honest with you, there are places, no, not always. And so what am I doing here? You guys, this is, this is magic. This is magical. You're praying, Lord, show me the deep places in me where you're not king. Isn't this in the, isn't this in the Psalms? Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Show me where you're not king. Show me places, thoughts, attitudes, responses where you're not king. Show me these counterfeit kings and help me dethrone them. You be king. Wow, that will change your life. You can't just do that offhand. Hey, Jesus, please be king. Moving on. Oh, no. You need to take some time. You need to get a piece of paper. You need to get the Bible. You need to look at yourself with the eyes of God next to you. Show me. Be king. We're praying for ourselves. Be king in our heart. We're also praying for this world. When you pray your kingdom come, you're praying for conversions. Jesus said in John 3, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. So we're praying your kingdom come. We're thinking of people we know and love and care about. We want them to see Jesus as king. Be king in their hearts. 
the Savior King who lived and died and rose for them. Let them see. Let them believe. We're praying for world situations, aren't we? We're praying for justice to be done somehow. Your kingdom come. And ultimately, what are we praying for? Conversions, yep. Justice, yep. We're praying for the return. When Jesus comes back and explicitly reigns in peace and joy and justice forever. What a prayer. You got enough to pray for there? Could you go on and on? What's the, what do we pray? Father, what else do we pray? Show me. What else do we pray? Rule me. Number four. We also pray, provide for me. Provide for me. Look at verse three. Give us this day our daily bread. Now this is, I think, difficult for us because very few of us, if any, have ever worried about eating. Maybe sometime in your life it, it occurred. But generally speaking, I don't think most of us are worried if we're gonna get to eat lunch or dinner today. And if you are, talk to us. <laughs> That's not a problem. You know, based on most New Year's resolutions, too little food does not tend to be our problem. So what are we to do with this? I wanna give you four words just to unpack, I hope, the general idea. Give us this day our daily bread. Number one, be thankful. Because guess where your daily bread comes from, according to this prayer? God gives it. Why do you have a great job? Or why do you have a stinky job, but it still gives you food to eat? It's a gift. Why do you have food to eat? It's a gift. Why is the economy working to get you food to eat? It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. So what should we be? Thankful. Oh, I, I have never gone without food unless I chose it in my entire life. That's a gift. Be thankful. Number two, be generous. Did you notice that this prayer comes right after praying the kingdom? Which one do we pray first? God, give me what I need, or I'm praying for your interests? Hmm. Which came first? The kingdom. Do you think there's a significance to praying the kingdom before we focus on our own needs? There certainly is. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what's going to happen? All the other stuff will be added to you. Alistair Begg says, God seems to be saying, you take care of my stuff and I'll take care of yours. Is that what God seems to be saying? You worry about my stuff, the kingdom. I'll worry about yours. I'll provide for you. Moreover, it's, is it give me my daily bread in this prayer? It's give us. God has provided for you in part. Why? So that you can provide for others. I remember one time, I was a kid. I hope I'm getting this right. I remember one time, my, my dad was in the Naval Academy, flew A7s off aircraft carriers. He knows some stuff and can do some stuff. He also then flew for a bunch of airlines, which all went out of business. Uh, some of you might remember TWA, hmm, Eastern, oh, uh, Air Florida, gone with the wind. So in Florida, uh, my brother's handicapped, and uh, dad's landing the plane, getting his last check, it bounces. So here's my uh, uber-educated, qualified dad painting houses. And there was enough money for groceries. And I still remember this night for two reasons. Number one, I was playing with this high school kid, and he threw me in the air, and I landed on my head and was knocked out. So that was memorable to me. <laughs> the other reason I remember it is because the church brought us bags of groceries. And in the bag of groceries was golden grams. Are, are any of you familiar with these, right? I was not allowed to eat things like golden grams in my family. Okay, that doesn't count as a healthy, it's, it's not part of this nutritious breakfast, right? But hey, when you don't have money for food and the church brings you golden grams, guess what you get to eat tomorrow? God gave us that day our daily bread. And guess who he gave it through? His people. He had given them their daily bread. That's why I say this prayer, this prayer has in it thankfulness and generosity. Third, it has honesty in it. 
Yeah, let's not make it too spiritual. Give us our daily bread. Guess, that, guess what that is? That's what we need. That is the practical, real-life stuff that we need. And amazingly, guess what God cares about? He cares about what you need. The nitty-gritty, the seemingly non-spiritual things of life, he cares. He cares, which means you can be honest with him. Here's one of my favorite psalms, a little nugget from him I love so much. Look at Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. And look at this next line. What are you supposed to do? Pour out your heart before him. Think of all that's in your heart. Anxieties, concerns, needs, despairs, fears. Imagine taking that thing like a jar before your father and just dumping it out. And then there's some stuff that sticks up in there, right? That didn't fall out. The really nasty stuff. Pour out your, do you see this invitation? What is God inviting you to do? Tell me everything. I'm listening. Tell me everything. What do you need? What do you need? Pour out your heart before him. God is a what? Refuge. We could look at text after, after text. Pray your anxiety. Pray your cares. Tell him. Be honest. So this, this prayer, give us our daily bread. Be thankful. Be generous. Be honest. And the last one, trust him. Trust him. Why does it say give us this day? Any of you worried about things beyond this day? How about all of us? Why does he say this day? A lot of thoughts on that. But at least one is, this day right here is enough for you. You just worry about today. You worry about today. Give me what I need today. Because guess what you're going to pray tomorrow? Give me what I need today. And the next one after that, give me what I need today. And so God is saying, I'm here for you right now. And you trust me for later. You trust me for later. Now, does this mean we don't save or plan ahead? No, of course not. What it means is we don't worry. It means we trust that God will give us what we need in the right way and in the right time, and he's given us what we need today. It's trust. Provide. Provide for us. Thankful, generous, honest trust. What has Jesus said so far? Father, what's the second one? Show us. What's the third one? Rule us. What's the fourth one? Provide for us. Now number five, we've been going for a while and we're hitting the hardest one. Are you ready? Forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive who? Everyone who is indebted to us. First thing we realize, God forgives sin. Don't you love that about him? He is a forgiving God. But in this passage, we are not talking about the kind of conversion forgiveness. That already happened. If you can say, Father, you're already forgiven. What are we talking about here? We're talking about relational forgiveness. Say, say I'm a jerk to my wife. It's not that hard to imagine. Say I pull that off. I'm a jerk to my wife. I know my wife. I already know she forgives me. She does. She will. But what do I need to do to enjoy that relationship again? This is the purpose of forgiveness, right? It's reconciliation. It's relationship. What do I need to do? It generally helps to say, I was wrong. With no excuses. Because a lot of you, that's when we pull in excuses, right? I was wrong, but that's because the universe was set against me because you one day and back in 1980. Nope, just stop. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And then what should we ask? Please forgive me. If you have a real relationship with God, yes, he has forgiven you. And you need to confess your sins and be right with him again in your heart and in your mind. Forgive me of my sins. Look what Psalm 32, 5 says. David says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. Here it is. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did God do? You forgave me the iniquity of my sin. So what do we want to do here? We want to confess our sin that takes time in prayer. Do you ever do this with God? Show me my sin. Look into it. Look, look into why you did it and confess it to him. Ask him for forgiveness. And guess what he will give according to his word because of Christ. Guess what he always does? 
He forgives. Isn't it wonderful? I love forgiving people. But now the test. God forgiving us is always tied to our forgiving others. It's always tied to our forgiving others. Jesus' logic here is if you value God's forgiveness of you, you will work to forgive others. And if you refuse to forgive, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. I think it's a pride problem. Why would I say that? Because when, when we want to accept God's forgiveness for us, but we won't give forgiveness to others, we're saying, well, they don't deserve it, which means we're assuming, well, I deserve his. And we want to test that. Which sin is worse, your sin against God or someone else's sin against you? The way you answer that is going to say a lot about what you believe. What did it take for you to be forgiven? Jesus didn't get grounded for your forgiveness You didn't have to sit in the corner for your forgiveness. What did it take? It took a cross. It took a cross. The cost of your forgiveness is great. You've been forgiven in Christ, which means if you treasure that grace to you, that humbles you, it humbles you, and it gives you new power to do what? Forgive. If you won't forgive, the problem is your lack of valuing of what Jesus has done for you. Your lack of wearing the cost of your own forgiveness. And we show that we value the forgiveness we've received when we forgive others. So we want to pray this out. This takes prayer, doesn't it? It takes prayer. There are some people and experiences in my life, I didn't just forgive them once and then forget about it. I have to forgive them like every other day. Not because they did anything else, because I remember it, because I feel it again, because it's in there again, and I got to pray over it again. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me forgive it. Remember, he he called sin a debt, and so when you won't forgive, you still want that person to pay somehow. You want them to pay somehow. You you don't want what's good for them, mm, and to forgive is to say, no, you don't have to pay. I'll wear this because Jesus wore mine. I'm letting it go. You pray good, good on them. You pray God's blessing on them, but you forgive. And, and you know what? You start with, don't start with a feeling, because if you start with a feeling, you'll never forgive. <laughs> start with a choice. I forgive you. I let it go, and then pray it. Lord, help me. Forgive him. I guarantee you he will answer that prayer. All right, last one. Lead us. Lead us. What's it mean? Lead us not into temptation. What is temptation? Temptation is the lie that replacing God in his ways will make you happy. Replacing God in his ways will make you happy. It's a lie you believe every time you sin. It's a lie that says God's not good, his word's not true, so you'll replace him with something else. And guess what? I have hard news for you. Until death, we will constantly be tempted. It will never go away. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they're all after us. It's constant. We have to fight it every moment. And so what do we pray? Lead us not into temptation. Well, think about it. If temptation is after your heart, remember behind every temptation is this. This will make you happy. If the devil came to you dripping drool with fangs, smelling like sulfur, the fires of hell flaming behind him, come, I will destroy you. You'd be quicker to say, get off my lawn. But he doesn't come like that. He comes like this. Oh. God really say that? That's not going to help you out. This over here, that'll make you happy. And that's when we think, oh, maybe you're right. Lead us not into temptation is a prayer for the health of your heart. Let me give you an example here. Psalm 119, 33 and following. Lead my heart to you in your ways. That's what this means. Psalm 119, 33. Read Read with me the underlined parts. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with what? My whole heart. Verse 35. Lead me in the paths of your commandments, for I delight in it. Look at verse 36. This is amazing. Incline my heart to what? Your testimonies, you're asking God to help you love what you should. What a prayer. 
Help me love what I should. Verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at what? Worthless things. Those are the temptations. And we're thinking, oh, those are cute. Turn my eyes and give me life in your ways. That's what this prayer is about. Lead my heart to love you in your ways. Mm. All right, let's back it up. Jesus is a life of prayer. His pattern here is the power for prayer. It's God's truth made personal. Father, show us. Rule us. Provide for us. Forgive us. Lead us. Now, real quick, I'm just going to summarize this. The passion for prayer. In verses 5 to 8, Jesus tells this funny story. One guy has company arrive in the middle of the night. Ancient Near Eastern culture, you have got to show some hospitality. Oh no, what if the company comes and you don't have anything to serve them? You have one option. Yell at your neighbor. Okay? It's the middle of the night. You go over there and say, hey, I got I to gotta show hospitality to my friends here. I need some help. And your neighbor says, bro, I'm in bed and my kids are in bed. And you don't wake up the kids. Right? And all the parents of young toddlers said... Amen. That's the cardinal ultimate sin. If you wake up my sleeping baby, may God's wrath come upon you. I can't help you right now. Cold-hearted friend, I can't help you right now. And Jesus' story shows how bold, pestering, motivates answers. I need some food. I can't help you. I'm in bed. I need some food. I can't help you. I'm in bed. I need some food. Fine! Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. He says, if that works with your cold-hearted neighbor, imagine what continual prayer will mean to your generous father. I, I, Jesus' words here are so funny to me. He says, if you being evil, not a good, good gift to your kids. <laughs> Do you think I took him aback at all? You were the apostles. And you, you guys are evil. And you ought to give good gifts. Oh, you just call us evil? Yeah, I think so. But even still, if you get, Daddy, I need a piece of bread. He's not like, ha, hey, I hit a scorpion in it for you. You know how to give good gifts to your kids. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. If cold-hearted neighbors will answer based on pestering, if you being evil give good gifts to your kids, how much more your father who gave his son for you? So ask, seek, knock. What is it? Ask, seek, knock. What is it? Ask, seek, knock. Keep praying. God likes to be nagged with his own promises. He likes to be pestered by his own promises. It gives him glory that you keep coming. And in the end, he answers and you're satisfied and you praise him and he's glorified. Keep coming. And the mountain of this last moment is when how much more your father, he gives good gifts, how much more will your father give, what, at the end of verse 13? Did you see it? The Holy Spirit. And that just took the lid off the box. Something grand, something great, the third person of the Trinity. But don't think that it's different from the rest of the prayer. How is it that you sense God's love for you as father? Do you remember? It's by the power of the Spirit. How is it that your eyes, the eyes of your heart, see who God is? It's by the power of the Spirit. What does God give to provide for our needs in this life? His Spirit. What's going to motivate you to forgive? His Spirit. What's going to change you to lead you, what God, lead you to what God loves? The Spirit. Do you see what we're asking for here? This is how the Spirit comes. The passion for prayer is a Spirit-led persistence. Persistence with God. Friends, I've taken a lot of your time. But I hope that you are feeling excited and hopeful for a vibrant prayer life. Who's the life of prayer? It's Jesus he brings you to the presence of the Father as a child through his life, death, and resurrection. Trust him. What's the power for prayer? It's praying the pattern of truth that Jesus has given us. Father, etc. And what's the passion for prayer? Pestering God. 
with the Holy Spirit according to his promises. Let me just ask you this. Are these prayers God will answer? They certainly are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for this rich, incredible teaching on how to pray. I can only ask you, Lord, that you would inspire each one of us to set aside time and to pray to you. And I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would open each of these themes and truths to each one of us and minister to our hearts. Uh, write your law on our minds and our hearts. Transform us, Lord, to know you and love you and live for you in deeper ways than we ever imagined because of this incredible fellowship we have with you in prayer. We pray this by the power of the spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.